My name is Paola Murillo. I'm the founder and director of Latin Co. Well, that was a sneak peek at our next segment. <laughs> Couldn't you? I had it set up so that we could smoothly fade into our promo from the Decemberists. I just heard that song really recently, too. Yeah. It's a re- really terrific song, actually. I got it. I think it's about the aftermath of the nuclear apocalypse. I don't know. Still kind of debating on whether it is or not. A good song or about the aftermath of the nuclear apocalypse? Aftermath of the nuclear apocalypse. It's definitely a good song. Yeah, exactly. So um, we got a pretty good show for you today. We got uh, actually a segment from, oh, by the way, this is the Arts Report broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm Jake Clark. I'm Ileana Sosa. Now, Ileana, I understand you have a pre-recorded segment for us today. I do. And this is a uh, segment about Latin Coover's Carnival del Carnaval del Sol. Yes. Yeah, the Festival del Sol. It sounds Festival really, del Sol. really, really fun, and a lot of like it's right in like the middle of the Latin American week. So they have a Latin American week has so many things that's happening, and Festival del Sol is kind of like the peak of everything. All right. Well, let's give it a listen. He gave it a little sneak peek there before, completely intentionally. <laughs> but uh, we'll see the real thing in just a second. Here you go. My name is Paola Murillo. I'm the founder and director of Latin Cuba. And this is going to be their anniversary, right? Our 10 year anniversary. Do these like anniversaries that you've had with uh, Festivals de Sol, what kind of changes have you seen this festival go through these past years? And what do you think the impact it has had on kind of the community here in Vancouver? Oh, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm quite proud of what we have been able to create as an organization here because we start with only 500 people. Well, actually, I would say more like 10 people. And then we went to just the official uh, opening to 500 people uh, and then through the years once we moved to you know and then it was 2,000 people and then we went moved to um, Granville Street we went 10,000 on the day uh, and the year after it was 50,000 and now with a hundred thousand people over a hundred thousand that comes every year to the festival so um, yeah we we know that we have created a strong voice for the Latin community in Vancouver that we are bringing some of those um, flavors of the South, you know, colors, uh, warmth, and that's what we want to create, you know, is having a little piece of Latin America here in Vancouver. And I think it was the voice that, you know, there were many things that had happened in the past, but I think that we were able to uh, bring a lot of the effort that people have done in the past and create something bigger that it help us to know that the Latinos are here and that we have people from so many different cultures that are creating beautiful things and also to see the artists growing with us and the entrepreneurs, the food, you know, all these people that are doing restaurants like catering and, you know, we see the process for them when they were just small and to see how they also have been grown. And, uh, and, they, and they tell us that, thank you to the, that, that we are still are alive as an organization, as Carnival. They keep doing more and bringing more ideas of bring, becoming very well-known in the city to perform all year round. So they know that we're a platform for them to showcase uh, their talent and, and what they want to create here in Vancouver. I, I yes. see that you you're, the festival in itself in these 10 years has been really 
kind of uh, trying to get the public to kind of compete in these competitions that you have, like the soccer competition, the cooking competition that you have. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, because I think that is the, soccer is always within our culture. It's something that we very proud, and now we know that it's the World Cup. And if you see all the World Cup around, like a lot of the fans that uh, here in the city were in their shirt and excitement, I think that that's, something that is very contagious uh, and and I think that's something that we want to bring that passion for that sport you know for the soccer and um, so I think that that's very important to bring that competition as well the food the good the, the, we have of course we all know uh, about Mexican food but with even within the Mexican food there's so many different flavors and tastes and regions to explore and to learn and and we have food from Peru from Colombia from Brazil you know like Caribbean Cuba you know we have all kind of uh, food from all over Latin America so we want to bring that and it's having that competition it gives them a little bit of challenge to for people to try and and, and to understand uh, what it is you know what they are sometimes missing out as well yeah and applying to to compete in those in the both the soccer and the cooking competitions they're still kind of open right now uh, the soccer is finished we already have all, all the teams already signing the I believe the cooking still is open and they're still looking for some chef as well oh nice and yes yes and uh, and what else do I have and uh, yeah, no, and uh, we have tons of activities for kids and the kids that can register on the day of the event. Uh, we're probably going to have Ultimate, uh, like Frisbee, like Ultimate as well mm-hmm. that we will be playing. And, you know, we are, we ha- I think that we are trying to create an experience all over. It's just an experience of food day, what it is. Yeah, you have, yeah. you have like so many things you're doing there. You have like the arts plaza, you have like the food and for like activities for the kids and like health and wellness and it's all these different like activities you can do. It seems very jam packed and like a lot of fun. What would you kind of say is your favorite um, uh-huh. event or even kind of place you like to hang out? Oh my gosh! For me, I have to hang out in all the spaces. <laughs> but I think it depends on the mood. Like I, I we're, I'm quite happy that the, this year the beer garden we expanded. Uh, it has been such a great success. Uh, we used to have like just 300 people, and then we moved to 500. And this year uh, it's going to be actually a thousand people that we're going to have at the beer garden. So for me, it's, it's a it's a big party in the street, almost in the street, but it's. You know, like it's like being in Ibiza, the environment and the people dancing and having fun and laughing. And I like to see, not just in the beer garden, but like I love to see that people can be so, I don't know, happy on that day. You know, just I just see people honestly like feeling open, warm, smiling and all of that. I think that's what, that's what it made me, for me, happy just to see that environment that sometimes in Canada people have a bit more reserved. So I, I think that. It's good when I see that people want to be very excited and very open. You know what I mean? Like very, without being negative, how can I say that? That, you know, that they get, um, I don't know. It's just like a, we all are sharing the fun, you know, like at the same time. I like that, that we all sharing the fun that is happening. So it's not like a place that I would say because every, every place has the magic, like the main stage. It has all these artists that if you want to dance, you can be dancing, you can be admiring the art. Um, 
you know, every every place for me, the kids, if you have kids, I don't have any kids, but I know that the parents stay sometimes just in the children area because of that. And people who are like food lovers, they have the whole taste of all different places, you know. So I, for me, I just love to see that genuine people enjoying things, you know, and being open about all of this. And this festival is kind of during the middle part of Latin America week, which has like a bunch of other things that are happening. Yes. Do you feel like the festival is going to be like a nice, like easy place for people to talk about issues as well? Issues? Like what kind of issues? Like not like... um, The festival, the Latin American week, I mean? No, 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 not like issue, like... um, discriminations that maybe uh, Latinas and Latinos uh, face as being Latin American? I don't know if we want to speak, you know, like I think that we, the festival itself, I don't think it's for those uh, conversations. I don't think that we are bringing that conversation to especially Carnival and Soul because it's all about enjoying the culture and having a good time. We're having an event within the Latin American Week that is called Woman Voices that I could say that that will be a space for people to talk about what it, what it means to be a woman in history. So then probably could be touched different, you know, with the Me Too movement and all that's happening today. I think that probably will be touched some of that. So I think it will be a good space for that. But the other events, like we have the flamenco and we have, uh, you know, the flamenco tango and wine in one night. That's um, that's something, you know, just to see those two cultures because we, as Latin Americans, we come from the flamenco. is is very, uh, it's uh, the region from Spain, but it's also it has a mix when it comes to the Argentina. Like all those dances, they have the same origin, like the same background. Uh, so that's why we bring them together. Uh, but the, you know, the films and everything. I think it's, all those are spaces for people to connect. Well, that's why we're creating and a space for people to showcase what they do here and and their talents. I, I think that that's our main job. You were talking about the dances that were being kind of demonstrated. Are people going to also be able to try to do some dances as well? Yes, yes, of course, of course. That's that's going to be for sure. That you know, you know, like a carnival. The soul we will have all of those spaces for for people to, you know, to dance and to practice. Uh, we have professors that will be teaching salsa. We will have people doing um, Zumba. Actually, we have Zumba that is free in the morning on Sunday at 11 in the morning. And that's going to be a great space for people to to have some a little bit of fun and, and sport in the morning. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's for sure. We, we create all of this for people enjoyment. That's the main job. That's our main job sounds like it's gonna be such an amazing time there like i think i might even come because it sounds super fun oh it's for everyone of course i don't think that you even should be hesitated we hope that you come and bring <laughs> your friends and family so kids and kids and seniors are free for adults it's only two dollars and it's a contribution to the organization so it's only two dollars contribution and but if you come before 1 p.m it's going to be free that's yes. a really good deal Yes, yes. And if you, if you want to avoid lines and all the headaches and have extra shadow and all of that, we have something that we created called the Super Pass. People can buy the Super Pass online, and that one is $10 for the two days. Oh, cool. And the two days are um, July the 8th and the 7th, right? The 7th seven, the seven and 8th. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Yes. 
What time does the festival start? It's from 11 in the morning to uh, 10 o'clock. Okay, and that's and for night. both days. Yes. For the soccer, since I kind of really want to see the soccer tournament, is that going to be uh-huh. for um, one day? Going to be spread out on the both days? It's the two days. The soccer is going to be the two days. And the cooking competitions on two days as well? Or? Yes, on the two days as well. Yes. Oh, nice. So if you want to know who's going to win the soccer game or be the new good chef, you have to go both times. Of course, of course. That would be great. <laughs> um, is there anything else you kind of really want to talk about? No, you know, we hope that you guys can check the website, carnivaldesol.ca. Uh, we're looking for tons of volunteers. So if you still, if you, there is still some people that maybe would like to volunteer and support, they just can contact us uh, hr at latincover.ca so hr at latincover.ca and they will they can volunteer with us or just giving us a call to the organization awesome thank you so much for thank calling you in. we really really appreciate it too and and we're here in gastown so everyone is welcome to visit us too. <laughs> great thank you so much for coming thank you that was a fantastic interview there, Eliana. Oh, well, thank you. And we're probably going to hear a little more about Latin Coover in the future, I'm assuming. Oh, most definitely. I'm going to head over there, I think, on Sunday the 8th. And uh, Carnival de Sol is uh, at the Concord Pacific, so definitely, please go check it out. It's so cool. Excelente. That's Italian. Uh, that is. Swing and a miss. Excelente. Um, excelente. Yeah. That's good? I, yeah, go. kind of. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing is, I, I, I learned a little bit of Spanish before I started Italian, so I would say yo for io, and I'm trying to learn Spanish again. They're both like so it goes romantic both ways. languages, so, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, there's some similarities, some differences. Um, we are going to take a short break, and when we return, we shall have an interview with Carolyn Snyatinsky, the writer of Acceleration, which is being brought to Pacific by Stone's Throw Productions, and you'll hear a lot more about that in just a little bit. Uh be right back. Bye. The 41st Vancouver Folk Music Festival comes to Jericho Beach Park July 13th to 15th. Experience the music of your world with artists from across North America and around the globe coming to make this the best weekend of your summer. Artists this year include the great Rye Cooter featuring the Hamiltons, the glorious Nico Case, the exciting Son Jarocho of Mexico's Son de Madeira, Rodney Kroll, Juno winners The Dead South, Bluesman Guy Davis, Mozambique's Wazimbo and Banda Kakana, Alex Cuba and many more. Come to the beach to hear a world of music and magic at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival. Info and tickets at thefestival.bc.ca. Women in Science Club provides support for female undergraduates in science fields. Our club has three pillars, mentorship, building community, and connecting people. We offer networking events with alumni, professional development workshops, as well as an ongoing mentorship program to support students through challenges that arise for women pursuing careers in science. And we're back. We're still broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm still Jake Clark. I'm still Eliana Sosa. And we are joined by... 
Caroline Snitinsky. How you doing? Good, thanks. So your play, Acceleration, as mentioned before, is being brought to Pacific by Stone's Throw Productions, and it was previously at this year's Fringe Festival. Yes, that's right. Could you give us a quick pitch for it? What's the play about? Uh, sure. Um, the play is inspired by the search for the Higgs boson particle, which was uh, taking place at the CERN Nuclear Research Facility in Switzerland, and the Higgs boson particle was discovered in 2012. And so my play takes place just before that in kind of the run-up to the discovery. And the, uh, I, I guess, with the Higgs boson particle, that's the God particle, correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. Is what it's called. And there, what is the procedure involved behind this? What's the sort of scientific conceit being tested here? Um, so the, 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 the basic principle of it is um, the physicists, and I should mention here, first of all, that I am not a physicist. I am a playwright. So just like <laughs> bear that in mind as you listen to Neither my Neither are we, so you can tell us pretty much anything. <laughs> like you can tell us hitting this particle together will create two large stone tablets with Ten Commandments written on them and all like, okay, checks out. You just never know. Um, the, the principle behind the Higgs boson particle is um, that the model that physicists use to explain the universe, which is called creatively the standard model, um, has it explains uh, most physics concepts, but it doesn't explain everything. There are some holes in it. There are some missing pieces. And um, around the year, in the 50s or 60s, there were a group of scientists, including Peter Higgs, for whom the particle is named, um, who theorized the Higgs boson particle as a way of explaining some of the questions we couldn't answer. And this was accepted as a hypothesis for many, many years until we actually had the technology to test, to experiment, to see if we could actually find this particle. And basically what they're doing, if I understand this correctly, because I used to watch The Big Bang Theory. Right. Excellent. Yes, this excellent, excellent understanding for scientific information. <laughs> There's a giant sort of hollow donut underground, and they fire the particles together hoping they'll hit each other. That is absolutely correct. And, okay, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> impressive conceit. The Swiss, you know, their big hollow country with the chocolate and the watches. Yeah, we have a nice donut down here. We fire particles together. It's fun. <laughs> but where did all this impressionistic art come from? And all this jewelry from 1939 to 1945. Are you sure that's not German now? No, that no, that's the Swiss. The Germans don't have the jewelry from 1945. <laughs> okay. Argent you know who does? The Argentinians and the Swiss. I mean, true that. And half of my audience is now mad at me. So, four people. Um... Now, for the, the, I kind of want to ask how this play came about because I've I've seen interesting work in I distinctly remember hearing a slam poem mm -hmm. about combinatorial mathematics a little mm. bit ago. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's a lot more overlap between arts and sciences than is led on. Where does this play sort of come from for you? Is um, there a personal fascination with the Higgs boson? Sure. So uh, the I got kind of interested in the Higgs boson when I spent a few years living in France a few years ago, and the place where I was living was fairly close to Geneva, which is where the, the research center, the CERN Nuclear Research Facility, is located. Oh, have you? Um, no, uh, I, I was in Grenoble, which is a little farther away, so like not that close, close <laughs> enough. Um, and um, I, uh, this, was, this was in 2011, 2012, so I was living there when the Higgs boson particle was discovered, and I got very interested as a non-science person in really specialized knowledge and how how people who have specialized scientific knowledge communicate it to people without specialized scientific knowledge because there was there was a lot of general public interest around the Higgs boson particle and I found it really interesting the way that everybody was kind of rushing to try and make these incredibly complex concepts accessible to people like myself who are not scientists and who don't have PhDs or other necessary tools to understand that so I I got interested in it from that angle. 
um, and just kind of was kicking around the idea in my head for a little while. And um, then I stumbled upon a new story of um, a young girl who uh, committed suicide just before the Higgs boson particle was discovered because there was also a lot of stories in the media at that time about the possibility that the Higgs boson experiments would create a black hole that would swallow up the universe. And in some places, this was really highly publicized. People really bought into it, and it had some very tragic results. So that also was kind of reflective of my interest of how can these ideas be accessible? How, how, can, how can such a disconnect come about? Um, so those two things were kind of like my kicking off points for, for the play. So she committed suicide to beat the black hole to the punch, essentially. I mean, it's essentially. Whew. Well, that's, that's heavy. And that, that's not what the play is about. No, no, that's no. Not that's not what the play is about specifically. Those were just kind of like my entry points into the into that world. Because that, well, that's a hell of, a, hell of an interesting thing. And do they actually know what the Higgs boson particle will do? Like, is there a practical sort of application for that understanding? I'm actually not really sure um, if what the practical aspects are. I'm sure that there is interest in, in pursuing that. Um, but I, I believe that a lot of it, um, at least kind of in the early phases of discovery, was to do with, with knowledge for knowledge's sake and discovery for discovery's sake, which is a thing that I think is, is often lost. That's interesting, because that comes up in many descriptions of your shows, but from, from back at the fringe. Would you say that's a, how would you want to approach that concern, especially today? Um, I'm not really sure. That's a, that's a good question. I think, I think one of the themes that I'm interested in in this play, which kind of relates to your question, is, um, is the idea of uncertainty and of how, how we move forward when we don't have all the answers. Um, so I'm not really sure if that answers your question. Necessary but. part yeah. of science, though. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it was um, Feynman who said um, you have the, fir- the first person you can't fool is yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think he also said that if, if you can't explain um, – I think he said – did he say if you can't explain your theory to a five-year-old, you can't explain your theory? I don't know why you're looking at me when you're asking this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a rhetorical strategy, but it's an auditory <laughs> medium. So the point's kind of lost, and I just sound like an idiot. Like, what's a hypotenuse? No. I mean, we're talking about all the science. So I guess that, it, I mean, we all kind of don't know it, except maybe. I should emphasize here once again that I am not a scientist, and it is perfectly possible to see this play without being a scientist and still get a lot from it. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> and part of and one of the interesting things too, especially considering this play's debut, is that there were other there was sort of a small trend in um, uh, female playwrights writing uh, about these scientific topics in in this year's Fringe. Fringe, we were talking about this uh, before the show. There was Interstellar Elder, that's right, I yeah. believe, and Distractingly Sexy, that's right, were two others. Yeah. Yeah, and that those were. Um, what would you would you, would you have any thoughts on that? There is that part of the discussion. Um, it was it was really interesting to be to be part of to be part of that little little group, and I was able to see both of those other shows, which were fantastic and offered two really really different takes on women in science. Um, I think it's it's part of it's part of uh, just a general trend, I think, in what has long been male-dominated disciplines like most of the scientific fields to just recognize 
contributions that women are making, uh, advances that women are making, and that women are just as much a part of those fields as men have long been. That's very true. Well, it's the, the whole... I, I know Mary Curie's on a stamp, but it occurs to me that there are... like To me, I, I can't think of very many female scientific figures off the top of my head. Are there any specific figures you think warrant a good deal more attention in this light? Uh, uh, specifically, I cannot answer that question, but I can tell you that in Distractingly Sexy, um, Millie Mumford, the playwright and performer, asks the audience that question. She asks people to name female scientists and specifically says, you can't say Marie Curie. And the silence in the audience is like, it was impressive. Just like the cricket, like... Yeah, yeah, there was a tumbleweed kind of going across the stage. Which which really (laughs) is unfortunate, especially because it's got to have broadened out. I mean, we had hidden figures, guys. I was going to mention hidden figures. Those are some three beautiful science ladies. Absolutely. Well, I think the point of hidden figures, though, is that they really weren't acknowledged for it in their lifetime, which is... Depressing. Well, that's a really (laughs) sad thing. That's, That's a sad and true thing a lot of the time, you know. (sighs) <sighs> well, and that, that's a bit of a downer. Yeah. I mean, there's another one, I think. Uh, crap. Actually, I don't know. Never mind. Continue on. Well, I thought I knew I thought I knew another uh, science. Uh, also, to an extent, scientist? the imitation game. Like, did yeah. to, to an extent, but... Okay, I did not watch an imitation game. I'm sorry. It, it's it, was more... it the one with uh, Benedict Benedi- Cumberbatch? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah I didn't Turing. watch it. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I saw that it was better than cover match, and I was just like, nah. <laughs> uh, come on, I, it's a guy. He's cool. He's a good guy, but like, I don't want to watch any more movies <laughs> with him. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, that's like that one. I, Alan Turing did deserve a movie because he was the victim of a pretty, uh, pretty distressingly recent. Uh, Mar- marginalization and forced sterilization of homosexuals. Do they touch on that on that film? They do because no. it, it, it directly <laughs> causes death. He either died of self-poisoning, he either killed himself or because the medication that he was being forced to take for to sterilize him causes shaky hands and loss of memory, he could conceivably have just put the wrong powder in something he was eating. Yeah. Which it's distressing that that is unknown in and of itself. But essentially he had to chemically castrate himself or go to prison. Damn. Well, as we can slowly find out, science back in the day and maybe even still now is just terrible to anyone. (laughs) This is is not an issue of science. This is an issue of the British legal system. Both. You know when they, you know when they issued a posthumous pardon to him? When? 2010. I'm pretty sure 2010 wow. around that. I, I'm pretty sure it was it was either the late Blair or early Cameron. I don't know. But it was, it's, it's, this is getting a really depressing take, and we're talking about your play. Let's go and talk about some like really depressing things that happen to scientists. <laughs> at least scientists. I, I I am sorry about that. You know. <laughs> Back, back to, to the play, which I'm assuming is a little more uplifting than the story of Alan Turing. <laughs> Please tell me it's more uplifting. Slightly, slightly more uplifting. Oh, <laughs> there, there is a dramatic plot in it, though, because the main character, Elise, I believe, has a missing sibling. Yes, that's right. Um, so when I, when I started developing the story, I, I 
hit upon the character of Elise, who is um, a scientist who has uh, a younger sister who went missing in her past. And so I got very interested in kind of the parallels between the search for the Higgs boson, the search for a missing person, kind of how those two, how those two searches join up. And again, kind of the questions around uncertainty, things we'll never know, things we can't know. How do we, how do we cope with that in, in life, in daily life? How do you move forward with your life when there's a question that you'll never know the answer to? That would be a hell of a thing to tell the police investigator, though, if she does find it. You know, I found the God particle. You can't find my sister. Uh, that's a pretty... <laughs> that be a, it's like, well, missing persons cases, you know, they go cold after, after a while. I don't know. <laughs> the, police, like, well, the police officer says, I don't know. You, you ever talk to a policeman? Uh, no, I try not to. Oh, well, well it's just... Suffice to say that we want to talk about uncertainty, yeah, that there's there's a distressing amount of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, let's not go down that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> let's move past that. Okay, so she's kind of, is she also, she's, search, she's one of the, like, the leading scientists for searching of the God particle? Um, no, so she she started out as a, as a character who was a physicist, but as the play evolved, I became increasingly not confident in my ability to write a realistic character who was a physicist. Um, and so I, I found an alternative way for her to become involved with the Higgs boson search. Um, it's really interesting, the uh, uh, CERN, again, the nuclear research facility yeah. in Switzerland, um, has, uh, has a number of, I guess you could call them outreach programs, but they are uh, they're, they're citizen science initiatives, which are designed to, to get ordinary people like me, like playwrights and radio hosts, uh, involved in scientific projects. So they actually have a number of um, online programs that you can download and, and run and use that contribute data to the experiments they're doing. So you don't, you don't have to have any specialized knowledge. It's, it's, in a sense, it's basically kind of donating your computer's processing power um, and some of your time. But it's a, it, it's a really interesting way to kind of have a connection without, without needing any, again, specialized knowledge or tools or... Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, so I thought that was a really interesting initiative. And so that provided a way for me to tap into that world without trying to be like, oh my God, my physicist character is just like completely unrealistic <laughs> and awful. You start like researching, like getting all your physics books out. <laughs> totally, like, totally. To yeah, I, I feel you there. Um, just sort, sort of to play out on that thing. I understand that on, on that sort of theme, excuse me, um, and that, 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 that's all, folks. Um, there is a notorious communication gap between uh, PhD-level scientific professionals who are doing this research and, of course, the people who it might affect. What is one piece of advice you could may, you maybe have for them regarding communicating, and what's one sort of informational lead for laymen to sort of uh, even that out? I mean, I feel like uh, sort of in, in, in PhD work of all levels and in a lot of academic discourse generally, uh, just plain language is so important. Um, I, 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 I think there's, there can be a tendency to use more words than you need to and more complicated words than you need to, and that's not in any way to suggest that things need to be dumbed down. Um, um, a marked inclination towards escapadalian loquaciousness. 
but uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I it's plebeian. It's actually sesquipedalian. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said for clarity and simplicity when it comes to scientific communication. Perfectly cromulent concept, yes. But but not radio hosting, obviously. Well, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or else the show would be five. <laughs> without my tangents, the show would be five minutes long. Would it? Probably. Um, and for the layman, I mean, there's that CERN. Uh, there's this, certainly the CERN uh, resources available there. Is there any other that you'd recommend? Um, I, I believe there is a similar project that I think is still ongoing that was one of the first of these kind of citizen science computer processing power programs, um, which is uh, it's called SETI, SETI at Home, um, and SETI stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. That sounds so yeah. cool. Yeah. Tom DeLonge is involved, isn't he? Uh, sorry, I don't know who. <laughs> Tom DeLonge quit, quit Blink-182 because apparently he oh. believes he's been abducted by aliens. Why would they abduct him, of all people? That is exactly my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess... We really liked feeling this. <laughs> aliens would understand music, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a question we may never know the answer to. Well, there you go. Someone uh, so... play the X-Files theme, please. <laughs> <laughs> I got a team. That, dude... That no. was pretty okay. I got a tannier. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm kind of good. I'm working on the good, the bad, and the ugly theme, but but not the basically not all the, the good. Theme. Basically the good ringtones. Okay, so if you can go see Acceleration, it's running from tonight till the thirtieth at Pacific. That includes uh, a matinee on Saturday and uh, eight eight o'clock features tonight, Friday, th- th- tonight, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not okay. Sunday. Not Sunday? Not right, Sunday. Saturday. Yes, that is, that is the 30th. <laughs> because I know what dates are. How did I get to higher I'm education? I'm so glad she's here to correct you. <laughs> How did I get to higher education? Well, anyway, it sure beats, well, radio beats the hell out of Ritalin. Um, Carolyn, it was lovely to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for talking to me. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to have a review of another Pacific feature, which is Kill All Politicians. And I'm going to take a bit from the play, from, and right now I'm just going to say it's a play, not a plan. I'm going to say that because they said it first. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host, Jake Clark, and we'll be right back. The iconic Rickshaw Theatre celebrates its nine years as a music venue in the heart of Vancouver's downtown east side. The once movie theatre turned live music venue has hosted a number of legendary acts over the years, including The Sonics, Gary Newman, DOA, Buzzcocks, War on Drugs, Misfits, King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard, and many more. To celebrate its nine years, the Rickshaw has invited Art to Echo, Sunbathe with members from Typhoon, The Intelligence Service, and Cartoon Lizard with a liquid light show by the world-renowned Mad Alchemy. For ticket information, please check out rickshawtheater.com. Even though it's bright and sunny outside, are you still an emotional mess on the inside? Well, then come check out Angry and Afraid, the therapeutic comedy show about all our hates and fears, featuring stand-up and sketch comedy. Saturday, July 14th at Little Mountain Gallery at Maine and 26th in Vancouver. Doors are at 8 and the show is at 8.30. Plus, we got $4 beers. Go to facebook.com slash angryandafraid for details. That's facebook.com slash angryandafraid. Let's get emotional, summer style. And we're back. 
Hi. <laughs> on on that note, okay. It, it it really does it really does beat psychiatric medication though. Um. So kill all politicians again. It's a play, not a plan. Uh. Is it's no longer running, but that was a Pacific feature. Uh. Which was put on. By well, it's firstly a credit where credits to was written by Thomas Youngerberg and performed by the Vagrant Players Theater Society. Um, the uh, so this play was pretty good. Please I, tell me about it. So I'm kill all politicians. Uh, okay, so the title really does let on. It was a short play. It was about an hour and change, no intermission. Basically, there are. Uh, Two guys in, it's not a dorm room, it's either a dorm room or a crappy apartment, and they are uh, Felix, uh, sorry, Stu, sorry, uh, and played by Brad Bergeron and Ben, who is Carson Balkan for. Uh, in an odd couple dynamic, Stu's Felix and Ben's Oscar, but that kind of disintegrates pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also, I think Brad Bergeron was doing a Paul Rudd impression for some of this. He does look like him a lot, but his intonation was dead on, which is kind of funny because this character's really, really screwed up. Um, so essentially, it starts with they're in their apartment, they're getting high, they 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 don't they're kind of they're broke students because uh, to to quote Donald Glover, this is America. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm really not sure where I'm supposed to stand on on the memes around that song. Um, it's Just... actually it's honestly pretty ironic since the whole "This Is America" is like about how uh, black people are like kind of the staple of like American culture, and then they're just kind of. Instead of looking at the issues that they're facing, they're you just like looking at the comedy of them. Yeah, a little like, uh, well, it's the, the comment on minstrelsy. I guess. Yeah. The inevitable bit there. But so he, it's more I- ironic that these memes are happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's unfortunate. You know, I was, I, I was thinking about, because I, like I said last show, I've been thinking about jazz recently and Louis Armstrong. The thing is, Louis uh, is, in my opinion, the greatest musician of the last century. He was a brilliant musician. He was a great musical contributor. But here's the funny thing. You know why he always had the white handkerchief? Yeah. So... In minstrel shows, the characters would constantly dab their foreheads with the white handkerchief to show they're working very hard, you know. And yeah. he'd smile all the time. Like, because he had to realize, and I think Leadbelly did this a little bit too, except Leadbelly was performing for communists, so he was just trolling his audience. But he, also, also Leadbelly didn't, you know, didn't give a shit. He wasn't smiling, but he was still playing the crowd, is that he was deliberately playing to a very static idea and his persona was to an extent rooted in that i mean it does seem like he was a very convivial guy but the fact that he had to lean on that to, especially earlier in his career is, is really distressing in retrospect yeah i mean it's just uh man we could go on about we could of... and we probably shouldn't yeah or i probably shouldn't specifically because that that's like that that gets that walks right up to the line yeah i mean um, I don't think I'm only Mexican American, so I don't understand uh, what African Americans go through. So yeah. it's totally different. Even though right now it's kind of bad for well, like I, I'm Canadian. I've never lived in the states, so oh, like true. even then, like I've never been present in that. How dynamic. did you like this show? That's kill all politicians. Yes, how, to, to, it seems very like a, a very like so American crowd sort it, of thing. It it, uh, it is. So it's two guys. 
very collegiate guys get stoned and stew um, begins to have an idea that they should just kill all politicians. All of them? Including his stepfather, who's a judge. Yeah, legislative, judicial, executive, whole whole branch. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they, they decide to write a manifesto. Um, to do that, they, they get uh, Dexedrine from uh, th- their neighbor, who uh, is play- played by Julia Lank, actually, who she was very good in this, playing this sort of... Because her character's on speed the entire time, so she doesn't blink except when she, like, because people on speed, they don't blink except when they have to. They're, like, unblinking, unblinking, blink, unblinking, 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 And then they just, like, really fast, really clipped diction. Like, she was very good. She's arranged most of our tickets for for Pacific Theater, so also definite shout-out to her. She, she was a lot of fun in this show. Um... So she gets that character though gets them Dexedrine. Cleo is the character, gets them Dexedrine, which is speed. It's it's um it's a it's an upper like that was uh I think it was a favorite of Kerouac if I if I recollect definitely okay, Joan so Burroughs they get as well. Speed. Yeah, so they start writing the manifesto, which is pretty hilarious because they're pretty high at this point. Then they have uh, a neighbor uh, who is uh how to describe them so. Is is gun guy? Uh, gun guy Gill, gun guy, gun guy. He, he has a gun, and he <laughs> likes to gun guy Glenn. He has a handgun. And he likes to pull it out, and he's a he's a mean guy. It's played by Arthur McKinnon, who also plays another one of their neighbors, uh, who is uh, just who looks looks like his front row of a Dave Matthews Band concert. So it's a real quick about face. Like he goes from this new metal douchebag sort of uh, costume. Chris- to this guy, but he did sunglasses and like a beanie, and then he whips it off, and then like board shorts, short sleeve shirt, sandals with socks, you know. Um, and gun guy Glenn brings cocaine, which never makes anything better. So essentially, you do see this is about there's a really powerful point in this, which is that it's not really political because they don't know what they're talking about. Like, Stu rants about how they should kill all politicians and how people who don't have an opinion on this are weak, but then just says he wants to be left alone. Okay, so it, hmm. And then, like, this is also, the play is really well written in that this is a pretty good play-by-play of basic political rhetoric. Because he appeals to the Founding Fathers' dislike of the current political system, which... Yeah, probably so. I don't think they would have been keen on the whole no slavery thing. And Thomas Jefferson basically wanted a a revolution every voting term, which is not too good if you're a power that has overseas interests or more than, you know, 13 colonies to deal with. Even in his lifetime, Jefferson had to figure out that that wasn't viable. But nevertheless, they go with it. And you just sort of see this meltdown on stage. And it's very interesting as to how it shapes up in the end because it goes hard into a dark place. And Stu really chews out Ben for basically basically for being a layabout and a stoner. But Ben goes, man, your family is great. Like, Stu's really mad at his stepfather. You know, you're not my dad kind of thing. But his dad's his stepfather's a judge who still, like, wants him around to a degree, who pays for the apartment. Mm-hmm. And Ben basically goes, you know, you know how fast I'd switch places with you in a heartbeat, man. And it's sort of, it really is quite a thing 
to to watch because it goes very quickly. So do you feel like the kind of themes is not like how it's uh, how its title is kills all politicians kind of about the politics itself, but like how it's about how people essentially. I think if there's something this play is about, it is about people using confusing polit- political grievances with personal grievances and vice versa. Mm, that's actually, I think that's a really interesting thing. Which, it's a very relevant thing, too, I would say. Yeah. Because because to me, anyway, there's got to be a separation. You've got to, you definitely have to at least look at those things uh, separately. I, I think, I don't know if I agree with that, though. Personal is political? I think so, because, like, when we feel things, we want to change it. Like, when we see something bad, we, we get upset and yeah, we're angry and disgusted about it, and so... That makes us, I feel, or tries to drive us to change. So I think it's, I think sometimes, yes, it, the emotions can be bad, which is like fear and stuff like that and hate. That can be bad for politics. But I think that also like disgust for something that's happening in the, in the government that the government's doing or, or sadness or anything like that is, I think that also helps out. So I don't, I don't know if I'm against or, I feel like I'm against kind of the idea of separating those two because there are good and bad. Yeah, that's true. There is a definite need to, I, I guess, because maybe that might be my cognitive bias speaking because I benefit from status quo arrangements just demographically, mm-hmm. like tend to. So for me, like, and I, I understand that this tendency is not good just in light of history, but I tend to be suspicious of change. Okay. Which is one thing, when we do the Bard on the Beach interview, I really want to talk about Aristophanes for Lysistrata. Mm-hmm. Because Aristophanes was a very conservative Athenian, which would make him a radical Democrat today. Not like a Democratic Party guy, but as in radical democracy. As in, okay. he believed in original Athenian democracy, which in which case 7% of the population votes, but 7% of the population has to vote and you need every person to be informed. So it's a really, but the problem is with that too, is demagoguery, which is a thing he hated. His biggest target was a demagogue named Cleon, who we now only know of for Aristophanes tearing him a new one in a play that would have been performed for him and his family in the front row. Beautiful. So it's, it's interesting in light of that. And I, I think about that sometimes. I think about that a little bit, not so much with this. Like, I think that one thing that Kill All Politicians does accurately is it starts with Ben watching C-SPAN, getting stoned and watching C-SPAN because the cursor broke. <laughs> which is the only reason to be stoned and watching C-SPAN, as far as I can tell. And the thing is that, yeah, I can understand watching C-SPAN for a little bit and kind of wanting to kill people. I can understand watching the news for some time and kind of wanting to kill people. But you're you're not supposed to do that. I, I mean, Because that, <laughs> that's crazy. Because um, so that's how Pizzagate happens. That's so true. Um, so do you think that... The kill all politicians is like, is it taking a stance that we should kind of separate emotions and politics? I don't think so. I, I don't think that's necessarily the stance the play takes. I think the play is uh, concerned less with a, a big political picture. I don't know exactly when this play was written, but I don't think it was terrifically recently. I think this was written during the Obama years. Oh, where there is still a lot of political disaffection. I mean, yes, of course. Th- there was, because, like, think about that. That was six years of deadlock out of an eight-year term. Yeah. Like I, like, I, like, I know that just by the fact that my dad is very enamored with CNN. And 
looking back on it, like I can understand that sentiment emerging from it because of frustration. And you can understand that sentiment emerging now because it's become not just deadlocked, but kind kind of gone the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Kind of gone to to a way where Canada's experiencing kind of a population spike and we have a negative birth rate. So <laughs> I mean Honestly, I don't even... Yep, yep, neither do I. But I think that this was written out of um, frustration more than contempt, if Mm. if that makes sense. Frustration more than disgust, because the point is made that Stu is very privileged and is dealing with more of his own psychological issues than with an actual political agenda. So both of these characters, are they both like male, white males? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're white guys. And I think they're, they're either in college or they just graduated from it. Oh, okay. And like Ben is, Ben is a sort of chummy bro-ish guy. Like I know a lot of guys like him and I, I, I like them in general, just on principle. And then Stu is a guy, we all know somebody in Stu's position and many of us don't like him. He's that friend, and if you don't know him, it's you. Who <laughs> is is the is the way it's probably best to put it? Because he's he's got a, a chip on. He doesn't have the chip on his shoulder. It's more like a cinder block. But the the thing is that he really doesn't have a whole lot to complain about. But he does have what are clearly some profound issues with anxiety and mood. Mm-hmm. And a significant part of it is one, he doesn't cope with that very well. Uh, again, weed, Dex, Coke, not a good thing for people who are dealing with anxiety. And, um, his, his general call to action here is just based out of profound desire to do something. Just anything to feel important, it seems. Mm. And that is something that I think a lot of people can relate to. Like, I can relate to that in points, and I find that it's disturbing to see that. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I don't think I understand the kind of wanting to be important, but I can understand like the wanting to change something. Yeah. The and like have it like be an immediate change, like I can understand that. Exactly. And you know, kill like what like that's, <laughs> it's a it's a quick thing. Oh, the the one thing I did love about this, which is about that point, is when they write their manifesto, Cleo asks them, So the man what's manifesto? And he goes, basically, it's a list of reasons for why he killed a bunch of people. Which, yeah, that's correct to me, just in general. I, I, I think I'm pretty well in the center, so I'm suspicious of either side of things. So whenever manifestos get involved, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, there's, there's, like, there's, like, there's you know, your communist manifestos and your mind camp, but there's also your Elliot Roger manifesto and your Ted Kaczynski manifestos out there. The, the, they're a good backlog that is generally not admissible, which is the reason that it's made. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, kill all politicians. I thought was cogent. I thought it was uh, general. I thought it was quite. I thought it was well acted. I thought, and this is a great thing too, is that it it was short. It didn't overstay its welcome. Oh, that's very really very nice. punchy and very direct. Very self contained would be a good word for it. Okay. Which is uh, similar to, like, uh, well, well, kind of the opposite of Tolkien, really, in that regard, <laughs> because Tolkien was three acts long and kind of did get a little lost in itself in points like this one never stayed off the one tack like 
Well, technically, the unities weren't there, which is good because kind of screw Aristotle on that one. But, like, in terms of Aristotelian unities, like, they're supposed to be very limited time, space, whatever. Those work to make a play flow into itself in a feeling that's very consistent. Mm. Which not necessarily not not necessary in general, I would think, because I think a lot of the time, if if you're a theater going audience, you're not necessarily there for that. It depends on the mood you're trying to create. But this one, yeah, a lot of intactness on that regard, and a lot of really really good flow through the act. It's a one act, so that works. So if you ever get the chance to catch a performance of this, um, check it out. Uh, if, if the Vagrant players, they, this is. They kind of sold me on them for this one. So if you want to check them out, check out their website, um, see what they got cooking. You know, you might uh, you, you might find some good stuff. Okay. Now, I'm assuming Once is a more uh, lighthearted play? Um, yeah. It's definitely not um, uh, Kill All Politicians. Uh, but it, I think it it's kind of one of those stories. Honestly, it was really cliche. You have very kind of, like, archetyped characters for the whole guy meets girl. Girl uh, helps guy, like, get over a problem. Guy falls in love with girl sort of thing. So it's a very kind of cliche um, plot in itself. But I have to admit, the music itself, and especially the... Because the actors are also the people doing the music, is phenomenal. Like it is a really, they were really, really good. I even went back. I've never seen this musical before, so I went back and apparently my roommates had. So I I listened to the original kind of Broadway soundtrack for it, and I actually like this cast more than the than the original. Really? Yeah, they were really good they were they had amazing vocals the they were just so in love with like the music itself so that it made the the moments of like listening to the story and like kind of seeing this very not interesting story was was worth it when you got to hear the music what kind of music was it it was very folksy like um they had like uh, cello, violins, guitars, drums. It was in bongos. It was so much a mandolin. Oh, um, mandolin. Okay, so yeah. was there a banjo or no? I don't know if there was a banjo, but I think Is it I like don't Irish, think I remember. Irish folk yeah, music? Or? Irish folk oh, okay, music. Okay, so Definitely it's not like American Irish, folk music. No, no. Definitely Irish folk music because this uh, story takes place in Ireland. Oh, right. I can bust out my Irish accent again and hopefully tell a better Irish story than the tale of Michael Malloy, which is a little, you know, maybe not as good. Owen Kildare was pretty awesome, although I think he was he was born in America, but same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like I would definitely recommend go checking it out. Uh, is just specifically for the music because I really do love these uh, these people, this cast really singing these songs. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, just don't go looking for like a really good uh, story because it's not really the story. It's just a boy meets girl story. Yeah, it's just a boy meets girl story, and honestly, there were like moments in it where I was like kind of irked by the story so much, like. There, it's, it would have been really cool because you have like the main heroine where the guy who she 
he falls in love with. Um, the girl is a single mother. So I was like, oh, oh wow, that's really cool. I would love to see that. But they in the story, they don't really show kind of the relationship she has with her daughter or like a lot of scenes with him. Like the daughter is there to show that she's a single mother. And then she only kind of shows up once in a while and doesn't have any kind of huge significance to the story itself just being like and she's a single mother <laughs> and then like go on i'm just like, picturing like a, a, a somebody holding up a card like <laughs> and she's a single mother it was it i was like this you didn't like it's cool that you did it but you didn't have to like if you're gonna make her a single mother like kind of touch up on that so that was kind of um and a kind of an annoying thing. Also, it sometimes felt that uh, the main uh, heroine is from I th- <sighs> crap. Um, I think she's from Romania. Oh, no, no, no. She's a Czech woman. Sorry, she's from Czech. Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Czechoslovakia. When is this set? Um, this is set, uh, I have no idea what this is set. If it's before the fall of the Iron Curtain, it's Czechoslovakia. If it's after, I, it's the Czech Republic. It, it, they just said she was Czech. Um, okay, yep. Um, she's, so, she's a Czech woman, and I was like, okay, cool, this is another, like, interesting thing. We're learning a little bit more about her, but it kind of, she slowly, instead of turning into this kind of interesting character that she could have been... I think she kind of turns into this, like, maniac pixie dream girl setting, which is really annoying at times. But, like, the – but I, like, if I was just reading it, I think I would be annoyed and I wouldn't like her that much. But the actress playing her is so good that I'm like, oh, I don't like some of the things that's happening but you're so charming i can't help but like you that's respectable i i think for our demographic especially because like we're right at we we're right after that trope really kind of became really obvious and just yeah 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 that's a, that's uh it, it's really I, I think we're pretty sensitized to it like there's a whole lot of like with um, with things like Five Hundred Days of Summer or the um, or most of John Green's books actually, where there's like the discussions of the degree for that, but then there's like the straight examples that we're watching. We're like, wow, that's already dated. Yeah, just just weird to me. Does she play anything? They gotta find musical tradition that checks. Um, she she sings. Um, I she also plays the piano. That's like an, a part of her uh. where she does play the piano, and she plays very well. Actually, honestly, listening to her play piano, the the actress playing the piano was like, oh, my God, I want to play the piano again. I forgot how, like, amazing it is. Yeah, it's it. definitely, if you're definitely, like, a huge fan of musicals or just music in general, I would definitely just go see this play. It's so good. The music is definitely worth it. And I think you'll have it's a good time. once at the Arts Club. How much longer is it running? Oh, man. Um, I think it's... 
crap, crap, crap. Uh, Till the end of the month, probably, or yeah, probably the end of the month. I'm so sorry. I was I was too busy talking about how you got about the program this. right there. Yeah, I got the program right here, but I don't know what page. It should be on the on the front of it. Probably. Oh yeah, mm. it was goes from June the 14th to July the 29th. July 29th. So I, I won't yeah. I won't be able to see it, but yes. Uh, Thank you for helping me out. I'm very <laughs> mad at flipping through things. I'm like, uh. I'm heading back to Ontario. Seeing some people. Uh, now is probably a good time to announce that. So next show, I will be here. But then after that, Ileana, you are taking over uh, through, the, through the rest of July. Yes, so. I will. Um, hopefully our audience will be nice. And uh, hopefully I will do a good job. Certainly, you know. Hey. If they've put up with me, believe me, you'll do fine. <laughs> you know, the reason I asked about the, the music thing, about the, the Czech woman, is that Václav Havel, uh, the first, he's one of my favorite uh, political figures. He was the first president of the Czech Republic after they were, uh, after they, you know, got rid of the communism and what. Um, he's a playwright, and he'd been in, in, in labor camps. Like, he'd been put away a few times for uh, for having a spine. Um, oh, yeah, Jiri Trinka, too. Uh, there's some films at the Cinematheque that are going to be going on in July. Puppet movies. Jerry Trinka was an animator, beautiful animator. I think, he, I think he was a friend of Havel's, or if he wasn't, they at least knew each other, and he was Czech. And he spent his life making these beautiful, um, just incredible animation. Little, Not a lot of dialogue, but like he did Midsummer Night's Dream. He did Good Soldier Shevik, I think. Like He's just a great animator. But his final movie is called The Hand. Is it a hand? No, these, so these are stop-motion movies. And the main character, these are all marionette characters, right? The main character is a potter. And he's visited by a giant hand that tells you, make images only of me. Huh. Yeah. Communism. That's um, interesting. I I think he died before um, it was liberated. But he had had to really, a lot of them either, you know, you you toe the line or you you go to a labor camp for a while. Or maybe you just uh, fall on a knife 20 or 30 times. Shoot yourself in the back of the head three or four times. Um, go for a swim wearing an overcoat and five bricks, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The iron, yeah, you know, the, the iron curtain wasn't a good one to fall on showmen or yeah. human beings in general. Uh. Yeah, but Václav Havel, in terms of music, the reason I ask is he was a huge Frank Zappa fan. Hmm. His favorite album, I think, was Bongo Fury, which he did with Captain Beefheart, and he, I think, there's a statue of Frank Zappa in the Czech Republic. Oh, wow. Because he toured there during uh, communism, and he helped smuggle people out. I think. I think that this is an anecdote. But he probably would do that. And I think uh, he was arrested for circulating bad checks. Bad. 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 (laughs) Don't mind. Yeah, let's end on that particular joke. Uh, This has been the Arts Report on uh, on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Jake Clark. I'm Ileana Sosa. All right. It was lovely to have you. Cheers.
41st Vancouver Folk Music Festival comes to Jericho Beach Park July 13th to 15th. Experience the music of your world with artists from across North America and around the globe coming to make this the best weekend of your summer. Artists this year include the great Rye Cooter featuring the Hamiltones, the glorious Nico Case, the exciting Son Jarocho of Mexico Sun de Madeira, Rodney Crowell, Juno winners The Dead South, Bluesman Guy Davis, Mozambique's Wazimbo, and Banda Kakana, Alex Cuba, and many more. Come to the beach to hear a world of music and magic at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival. Info and tickets at the festival.